The following is an audio narration of Following the Gaian Way, which is featured in the Spring-Summer 2023 edition of Harvard Divinity Bulletin. Written by Eric Asadorian, read by Michael Dowd. Following the Gaian Way, the promise and purpose of a new Earth-centric religious philosophy. Before you start reading this essay, take a deep breath and then slowly let it out. Do that again. Do it one more time. Now hold your breath and tell yourself over and over, I am separate from Gaia. I am separate from Gaia. Keep saying that. Feel your lungs tighten. Feel the need to draw in air. Feel the gentle nudge from your brain to inhale. Feel the growing panic of breath interrupted. All the while, keep telling yourself, I am separate from Gaia. When you can no longer sustain that myth any longer, inhale. I encourage you to pause this audio recording and actually have this experience. When you can no longer sustain that myth any longer, inhale. In that breath, draw in 65 sextillion molecules of air, the nitrogen, oxygen, water vapor, and other gases that make up Gaia's thin blue membrane. The oxygen, which sustains your body and is composed of the waste gases of countless phytoplankton, plants, trees, and other producers, feel it replenish your body. Exhale the carbon dioxide you produce as a byproduct of fueling your body and that feeds the world's plant life. And recognize that you are not at all separate from the living earth that we inhabit. Rather, you are utterly interwoven into this complex system, dependent on it for your ability to survive and thrive. This exercise is one of many breath exercises and meditations that play a central role in the Gaian Way. The Gaian Way is a new religious philosophy, with roots in the science of Gaia theory and deep ecology, as well as in many other ancient and modern influences, that attempts to help humans recover their understanding that they are very much a part of Gaia. Like other religious philosophies, the Gaian Way has a community of practice and practitioners, Gaians, who take the practices, stories, and ethics of this philosophy and apply them to their lives. As this philosophy is likely new to nearly all readers, let me explore some highlights of the Gaian way, or Gaianism. First, why is this a religious philosophy rather than a secular philosophy? The definition of religion drilled into me as a student of religion at Dartmouth College was, quote, a verbal and nonverbal system of interaction with superhuman beings, unquote. Arguably, Gaia could count as such, deified as Mother Earth, Though many, including me, see Gaia not as a deity, but as a holobiont, a being made up of coexisting and codependent living organisms that has emerged from the geochemical and biological interactions of living and non-living systems. Humans, too, are holobionts, made up of more non-human cells than human ones, and to live without these would cause systemic imbalances, illness, or even death, as can be seen when gut microbiomes are disrupted. Because of our lack of awareness of this complex whole, humans have, for centuries, and in some regions for millennia, 
lived in a way that disrupts the well-being of the holobiont earth. And we have even lost understanding that there is a whole. Recultivating reverence for this superhuman being, in the literal sense, above and beyond human, is essential if we are to survive our rocky adolescence. If we cannot do this, then we will change the planet to such a degree that humans can no longer adapt or survive. After majoring in religion and psychology at Dartmouth, I studied sustainability for 17 years at the World Watch Institute. There, I dug deep into the root causes of the sustainability crisis, understanding that at the very heart of the problem was a cultural paradigm that prioritizes growth and consumerism. Only if we transcend this paradigm and create a new one that orients us as completely on sustainability will we have a chance to prevent runaway climate change and the other dozen converging planetary crises. To name a few, plastic pollution, persistent chemical pollution, biodiversity loss, deforestation, ocean acidification, ozone depletion, nuclear war, and the radicalization of political systems due to changing ecosystems and the climate refugee flows, all of which can interact to cause what is sometimes called a polycrisis, or more colloquially, civilizational collapse. Research and advocate culture change, starting with directing the State of the World 2010 report, Transforming Cultures from Consumerism to Sustainability. From there, I found myself writing on economic degrowth, creating a scenario for the globally popular board game, The Settlers of Catan, that helped players understand the limits to growth, climate change, and that oil must stay in the ground. I even developed a never-aired reality TV show that encouraged millennials to move back in with their parents to farm their own and their neighbors' yards. I mean, jobs and housing shrunk while also converting the country's third largest crop by acreage, the lawn, into new sources of food security, healthy diets and lifestyles, organic waste recycling, and biodiverse landscapes. But truthfully, the scale of change needed is so vast, the window to act is so minuscule, and the obsession with profiting from the renewable energy transition, so-called, is so strong, that we are in all likelihood going to continue to pursue growth until this current system collapses under its own weight. That, however, is not the end of the story. Civilizations unravel regularly. The question is what comes next? Will human rights advances disappear faster than they were gained over many decades of organizing and advocacy? Will there be new militaristic empires? Will the ecological changes be so severe and so swift that civilization in the future will barely be able to be called that? Or can future generations learn from their ancestors' mistakes? Can our prodigal species return to Gaia's embrace, even if her home has been heavily mortgaged to finance her children's excesses, and help fix up her house and overrun gardens? Could an Earth-centric philosophy help shape a new regenerative paradigm, one that helps humans understand again that they are part of and utterly dependent on the living Earth? That is the purpose of the Gaian way. As I learned in my college religion courses, all religions have basic components, a cosmology, a theodicy, ethics, parables, rituals and practices, and so on. The Gaian way is no different. Our cosmology is science-based. There is no magic other than the continuing uncertainty of the origins of the universe and the enchantment one feels when immersed in nature. 
but there are no actors at the beginning of time, no God who put things in motion or who monitors or, or tests our progress. Even Gaia, when it comes down to it, is not unique, but just one of countless planetary beings strewn across the universe. Instead, Gaia's uniqueness comes from the fact that we humans, along with millions of other species, are part of this being. Gaia's theodicy, and this is important, makes it clear that there is natural suffering that's just part of being a living creature that's part of a bigger living creature. Without death, there would be no life. Living beings oftentimes live at others' expenses, and within a body, cells are born and recycled constantly. Together, we are and continue to be a functioning whole. Coming to accept that is part of life and maturity. But there's also unnatural suffering, that which we've created or made worse in our quest to play God, to consume at levels that today feel normal but are far beyond what most ancient kings and emperors dared even dream of, let alone experience. This is especially true of North Americans, who have almost seven times the ecological footprint of Indians and nearly twice the footprint even of someone living in the United Kingdom. It is especially important to understand that Gaia's wrath is not like God's wrath. The hurricanes that will become more powerful and more frequent in coming years are not vengeance for our misdeeds. They are a way that Gaia redistributes heat energy. It is our greenhouse gas pollution that has worsened hurricanes and cyclones, and the way we've paved over wetlands, built on coastlines, and grown to 8 billion-plus people exacerbates human suffering, and non-human suffering, when that's considered, but in our anthropocentric culture rarely, rarely is. The Gaian way also offers this essential teaching. We cannot and should not blame Earth for the changes it is undergoing. My great concern is that we will, and that some, acting out of fear, profit, or political advantage, will use that to justify misguided attempts like geoengineering and other controlling practices that further destroy the living planet. A key part of the Gaian philosophy is that it offers no fantasy of a conscious afterlife, whether through heaven, hell, or reincarnation. Instead, it offers an understanding of human life as a brief moment of consciousness before we, and all other beings, return to the greater self of Gaia, entering the cycle of life again through decomposition and nourishing other beings. As with understanding that a wave is a part of the ocean, and thus we should not fear its crash against the shore, so too should humans not fear death, which is the natural end to life. Ethics can be boiled down to this Gaian koan. A teacher and a student are walking in the woods, they reach a field just as a red-tailed hawk swoops down and snatches up a mouse, carries it up to a dead tree, and starts to eat it. After silently watching for a moment, the student turns to his teacher and asks, Teacher, what is the purpose of a mouse? Of a hawk? Of all life? Without taking her eyes from the hawk, the teacher responds, It is to serve Gaia, or die. Said another way, to quote Aldo Leopold, a thing is right when it tends to preserve the integrity, stability, and beauty of the biotic community. It is wrong when it tends otherwise. All our actions, our institutions, our cultural patterns, our infrastructures, must be at least benign to Earth systems and ideally should actively improve the overall functioning of Earth. After all, do you want to be a cancer cell or a functioning cell with a purpose in Gaia's body? I recognize that 
This may seem undoable from our modern industrial perspective, where even green or sustainable is typically just code for less unsustainable. But when and where indigenous peoples have maintained sovereignty over their territories, these communities hold unique knowledge systems and practices that include stewarding forests, grasslands, lakes, and wetlands, sequestering carbon, sustaining biodiversity, and so on, making the ecosystems that they have inhabited more healthy, not more depleted. We could learn from these practices. We could build small homes that are carbon positive and fully cradle to cradle. We could design walkable, biodiverse, ecologically productive communities. We could prioritize preventative health and education so we live healthy lives with little medical intervention needed. We could live low-consumption lifestyles where goods are made 100% sustainably and last for generations, like the backgammon board that was passed to me by my father, or the cast-iron pan that my family cooks with that may end up lasting longer than the United States Republic. We could also forego certain technologies that digitally lobotomize us and cause massive amounts of ecological destruction through their production and contribute to the propagation and growth of hate groups. But the vast confluence of cultural forces tell us to do the very opposite. To overeat, to buy more stuff, to live in grandiose homes, to amuse ourselves to death, especially as the news gets worse and worse and the video streaming options get better and better. Sin is not a category in the Gaian way, but we have two options. We can either learn to serve Gaia, individually and collectively, or we don't, thus destroying the systems that give us life. In other words, we either serve Gaia or die. Religious philosophies are often known for their stories. Slowly, the repertoire of Gaian parables has grown as well, whether the parable of the tree in need, the three burglars, or even the one about an abandoned mattress. Parentheses, here's the short of it. What would you do if you found an abandoned mattress in the road? Avoid it, profit from it, or move it? End of parentheses. It's through these stories that we can process our overwhelming reality. A great ecological shift is underway, with disruptions and devastations many of us have never known. Climate reports, data, and journal articles are just too dense for most people to grapple with. But a story about a man trying to convince his neighbor that his woodpile is placed too near to his home may communicate the same message in a lasting way. I've saved the most relevant part of the Gaian way for the end. That of practices. These punctuate the day, week, month, year, and lifetime of practitioners, separating sacred and profane time, marking periods of liminality, and so on. Many patterns are still new and forming, but Gaians celebrate the wheel of the year. We fast with the full and new moons, both to connect with the lunar cycle and to benefit from the ancient practice of fasting. Fasting is challenging, but in a culture of excess, where nearly three-quarters of American adults suffer from overweight or obesity, it can be a beneficial practice, especially when the future certainly holds promises of increased scarcity for all of us. In addition to these annual and monthly cycles, Gaians have daily and weekly cycles, too. Most importantly, we meditate three times a day, at sunrise, solar noon, and sunset, or as close to those times as one can, Considering the uncertainties already facing us, and the difficulties surely ahead, meditation is an essential practice, whether once, twice, or three times a day. Even in normal times, we all get sick and die. Being able to sit with 
That is an important lesson that Buddhists discovered 2,500 years ago, and one that will be especially needed in the overshoot period ahead. And with neuroscience research revealing the many benefits of meditation, it's a practice that should be available to all. After meditating daily for two years, I have noticed positive psychological and physiological changes. Most importantly, the practice has allowed me to sit with uncertainty. When I got Lyme's disease over the summer, my mind immediately jumped to the fear of permanent disability. But meditation and antibiotics got me through my bout of Lyme. I am more able to accept the inevitability of decline now, at both a personal and a collective level. That is not to say that Gaians are meditating in order to accept Gaia's destruction. Our role is to serve Gaia, even if the odds of success are low. But not bolstering that commitment with the false hope of success is essential. As Joanna Macy has said, one's role when sitting with a friend with a terminal disease is not to declare cheerily that all will be well, but simply to be with her. Meditation allows us to sit with the suffering, to not let it destroy us, and to strengthen ourselves to keep serving Gaia, no matter the pain this brings, no matter the likelihood of success. There's one significant difference to the Gaian meditation practice. It is to be conducted outdoors. In nature is ideal, but even a back step where one can see a tree or a potted plant is better than being inside. If it's raining, cold, snowing, hot, that's how we experience the living world and its cycles. Every morning, I sit outside and look at the same river birch. Some days I see birds singing from its branches or leaves dancing complex patterns in the wind. Some days squirrels visit my perch. Other days rain coats my face. Some days I sit with the full moon before ending my full moon fast. Once I even watched an eclipse with my eclipse glasses. These brief meditation sessions are spent observing nature or performing Gaian meditations that more closely connect me with nature, that better ground me, such as the Gaian tree meditation and corpse meditation, and that connect me to the cycles humans have been connected to for most of history. A final practice I want to discuss are weekly Gaian forest services. While much of our community interaction is online, connecting Gaians across the globe, a few Gaians have started local Gaian guilds. Currently, these guild leaders organize regular meditations in natural settings, where Gaians can come and meditate and be in nature and community together. One day, we hope to have many fully formed guilds, with weekly forest meditations for the adults, and where the kids in the community get time in nature, too rare these days, learn basic ecological literacy and earth skills, make new friends, and connect with their local ecosystem. Ideally, as with the Quakers, Gaian guilds will also become hubs of activity, helping to fight for ecological sanity in its many forms, whether banning nuclear weapons, encouraging economic degrowth, fighting for real climate action, banning toxins, conserving land, increasing access to family planning, and normalizing smaller families, or the countless other ways people can serve Gaia. We hope to model a different kind of activism, not the burnt-out, prone of professional activists that we see often today, but activists who are nourished within a Gaian community in which everyone offers mutual aid and support to one another and extends this to others in the community. As with any church, there's a significant potential to help in the broader community, 
And in Guyan's case, this means not just the human community, but the entire community of life. Of course, there's still a long way to go from the fledgling philosophy that the Guyan way is now to what it might one day be. As with fledglings in nature, not all make it to adulthood. As Guyanism has grown, we've connected with other ecocentric religious communities, some much older, some newer, some long dissolved, some still in formation. What the Guyan way offers is this, a reminder that we are part of and utterly dependent upon the living earth, and it provides ways to fully understand and embrace this from parables and a sense of purpose to practices across the day, week, month, year, and lifetime. And I hope it offers not just a way through the polycrisis ahead, but a grounding philosophy that can help cultivate earth-centric cultures from the ashes of our current consumer culture. Yes, that's a tall order, but the crisis we face requires a new paradigm as well as the ability to dream big. The written text on the Harvard Divinity Bulletin website has 26 footnotes and includes this short bio. Eric Asadorian is a sustainability researcher and writer. He was a researcher with World Watch Institute from 2001 until 2017. There, he directed or co-directed seven books focusing on consumerism, eco-education, global security, and economic degrowth. In 2019, he created Guyanism.org and is working to grow a new Guyan religion. <laughs>